once again. Thank you for joining us. This is Nuance, and I'm Mike Scholar, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop MC and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Not much, man. Same old, same old, chilling. Uh, just finished getting some food. You know how it is, spending family time. How about yourself? Yeah, no, it's always good to spend time with the family around the holidays, especially, right? Yeah, it's been a while. So, you know, it's been three years since I've back in, been back in the States. So, wow. Time. Well, we are joined by a very special guest this week. We have Aaliyah Abraham of the Black Resource Network. What's going on, Aaliyah? Yeah, hi, everybody. Looking forward to the discussion today. Excellent. Yeah, yeah so, and I'm looking forward to hearing about what you, uh, you know, what you do and, and the Black Resource Network. You know, I looked over some of the stuff and uh, it looks like you're doing some good work. So look forward to that. Yeah, we, we, I like to say we, we are doing some, um, some work in out here in Queens. Uh, the name of the group is Black Resource Network. So that's BLA for Black, QUE for Queens, we're Queens-based. Um, so we're a space for Black people in Queens to network and share resources through health and wellness, education, civic engagement, what we're probably most popular for our small business support. And uh, what that looks like is um, just reconditioning the minds of Black people to shop Black and encouraging them and reminding them why it's important and, and helping them get connected to the Black businesses um, that they need. So that's that's kind of what we do day-to-day. Uh, -day. And we do a lot of events as well, some entertainment, some educational, you know, again, with the small business. And um, that's it. We primarily communicate through our Facebook group. Um, but we're offline as well. You can see us wearing our gear. I'm not wearing our gear right now. I'm wearing somebody else's gear. I'm wearing essential kitchen gear uh, with our businesses in our group. I feel like my face is black resource number. So I, don't, I don't have to wear the shirt so much. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 who we are. Um, I'm looking forward to just discussing today about, you know, a little more specifically about what we do and yeah. how we help anybody that's watching. And, um, you know, we take help as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sounds good. So I'd like to start off with something on the lighter side just to give people some time to join us and come in, so we get into a bigger discussion in a bit. But I was actually browsing social media recently and I found a discussion about jobs that reminded me of a song that you and I did together, Jay, Inferno. We did a video for it and everything. But your verse in particular in the song talks about a guy going to work and kind of being in that grind and you break down the hours, how you're there for eight hours. But of course, it's not just the eight hours. It's the time getting to and from work. Then it's the time getting ready for work and all the things that go into it, getting ready for the next day. And you kind of break it down in a 24 hour day. But how much of that is spent on the job, essentially? And then how right. much time do you have for yourself? Yeah, if I, it was like 18 hours that, you know, you put into to give to basically getting to and from work and working. So you're giving that away and, and you're only left with six hours personally for yourself. And so it's kind of a, it's, it's not yeah. really a good work-life balance. You and you got to sleep, you got to eat. I mean, you got to take care of yourself. When do you have time to just do what you want? Yeah, so. So, yeah, it is, it is rough. And you see this a lot, at least I do, from people who, finish school and they're working and it just kind of hits them like this is reality now and they're like this seems like a scam or just a bad situation to be in like this can't be life i see that sentiment all the time like this is what my life this is what existence is and it makes a lot of people depressed i think i think a lot of a lot of the younger generation is really questioning that now you know a lot um you know 
not the present generation, but the one before that, just kind of like, that's what it is. That's just how it is. But the ones today are like, right, wait a minute, this ain't right. We don't, we don't want no parts of this. And so um, who knows, maybe some change will come out of that. Right, right. And I do think post-pandemic especially, yeah. the work from home atmosphere really is becoming a lot more prevalent, even in a, on a permanent basis. And I do think that makes a big difference because that commute is really oftentimes such a big part of your grind, especially if you're coming from far away, like we talked about in South Queens, having to commute to Manhattan, for example, it could be hell. So if you're able to work from home, I do think that takes a significant amount of pressure off. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, remember when I when I first moved up to New York and was staying out, out in um, Long Island with y'all, it was like, you know, it was like a 30 minute walk to the train. Then it was like another 45 minutes or something like that on the train uh, and then another transfer trains and then there was another 10 minute walk and a 10 minute ride and it was like to me commuting was like two and two and a half hours or something like that it was it was crazy so right right but losing now, you know yeah yeah and the whole idea is you're giving time to someone else so if you're working a job that you don't like and you're just doing it for a paycheck and so people will say the secret is do what you love obviously that's much easier said than done and like we were saying before we came on, that could even sound dismissive to people who can't do that. I mean, maybe they do, they love doing something, but that doesn't pay the bills. Right. And and it's it's been a longstanding fact that the majority of people that went to college for something are not working in the field that their degree is in. So, I mean, you, you think you went to college for something. So it's something you chose to study. So something you were interested in. And then you come out and you've got this degree and you got these qualifications and you can't even work or you're not even working in that field. And so that idea of do something you love just really doesn't match up with, with reality. And you can jump in here if you like, Aaliyah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, I, think, I think when it takes up so much of your day, I, th I think you have to do both, right? Some people cannot just do what they love and make money from it, but, but you still should have enough time in your day to do what you love, um, even if it's separate than how you make your money, because you'll, you'll know, well, this is just a means to, to pay my bills. I still have something that you love it when you're just an unhappy person because you're not doing anything all day that you love is when there's a problem right and i think i think like i said people have this or we've heard this advice from everywhere everybody that, that says oh find something you love you never work a day in your life um i think to me it's probably a little bit more realistic i mean it's something to aspire to of course if you can find something you love and turn that into something that's going to be able to feed you and your family that's best case scenario. But if you can't, I've, I've tell people and I've, I've said before, is to try to find moments of peace, try to find things that will, will distance yourself from that stuff that's, that's really weighing you down. You know, like, you know, for, for, for you, Mike, for example, you do a lot of work and you, you enjoy what you do, but you also take time out and do some music because that's part of your creative side. It's something that you love. And if we can, if we can find that, that can go a long way to help us, um, that, that work-life balance, that mental health balance. Right. Yeah. I also think in today's world, it's easier, I don't know if easier is the right word, maybe it's less difficult to be entrepreneurial. And I, you know, it's kind of like we're in the gig economy now. So everyone kind of is hustling and trying to do something for themselves. Maybe it's a slow grind. Maybe not everyone can fully get there to the point where they are 100% sufficient working for themselves. 
but you're seeing more and more of that now. I think the opportunities now are more than they used to be in that regard. Part of it might be because, like you mentioned, the younger generation just ain't having it. And they're saying, look, we need a better way. I really think even with this push that everybody should be an entrepreneur. I know how to cook. I love cooking. I open a restaurant and I'm doing no cooking. I'm ordering food and I'm trying to figure out how to do business taxes. And I'm trying to stay open and I'm sweeping and I'm not doing the food part at all. You still have to find space in your life to cook. Yeah. It doesn't always work that way because you're in that industry. You think this is what it is that you're going to be happy. You, you have to figure out specifically what makes you happy and, and find time to do that. And then um, even if they say you do like to cook, like I, I enjoy cooking, but I don't know if I want to make the same thing every day all the time. Or if I want to. to. Right. It, exactly. Once you turn it into the job, it's it's like it, it becomes something different. Yes. There's an obligation there. There's yes. still an obligation. It's not always going to be pleasant. Yes. It's not always going to feel like a hobby, right? You can turn your hobby and your passion into a career, but then there's still going to be that career part of it that you're not, you're not always going to want to deal with on a day basis. Yes. You might want time off that you can't give yourself because you're too busy, whatever the case is. So it is always going to be that grind. But I do think people overall are happier when they're doing things that they enjoy doing because philosophically, they don't feel like they're just working for someone else. They feel like it is their time. That's how I feel in my job. Like I practice law and I practice election law and I like doing things in law that I have a passion for. I can go to court and deliver for my client and that makes me feel good. Yes, I'm still working for a client and I'm still working a job and there's certain things about it that are unpleasant sometimes, but I'm still doing what I love and delivering the results that I like to, to deliver and feeling like there's a purpose in what I'm doing. And I think that might be the key, finding that purpose for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we're getting some feedback as well. James in chat, is someone listening to something in the background? Um, might be getting some feedback on it. Um, I think, I don't know if it's me or when I'm not speaking, I think I'm gonna mute my mic just to see if that's picking it up. But I think it's a, it's a good point. Um, you know, I think, you know, even, yeah, it's just like you said, I think it was Aaliyah said there's still like that obligation there um, for things that you love. But again, if it is something you really love, then, you know, then, yeah, it's, it's a great it's a great option. But I don't see how realistic for everyone it is. It's something to strive to. It's aspirational, I think, or try to at least find more purpose in your life. I mean, however that looks, everyone's situation is different. We can't say everyone could do the same thing. I mean, you know, people are in different situations in life, so some people are more fortunate than others also but i know for me i thank god every day that i don't have to go to some office and work for someone that i don't want to work for i'm, I'm happy i can work from home or just be on my own time make my own schedule to me that's a real privilege and i'm blessed to be able to live that way yeah yeah and it's and that's you know and in, in in lieu of being able to do that it's good to find find time for for your personal interests for for things that you really into things that make you happy things that you know connect you or distance you from whatever is stressing you out so yeah, yeah. i mean do we need to rethink our entire yes work system and come up with something brand new yes and how would that look what would we do um yeah shorten our work weeks um you know because i think about a lot of times you know, people are, are 
spinning their wheels in, in offices and, and whatnot, this, this need to be always on. Um, you know, we've just seen with, with Elon Musk taking over Twitter, he wants the people to, to sleep in the building sometimes. Like, no, this is work. This is not their life. Um, yeah, we need to rethink a lot, of, a lot of things that we're doing. I know, for example, in Japan, there's a, a, a common, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's a custom or part of, part of the culture that um, some people will, will stay in the office even long after they're done working because it's kind of seen as a bad look if you leave before the manager. Even if your work day is done and your, your work is done. So people will sit in the office and do nothing, pretend like they're doing something every day because the manager hasn't left yet. Because, and so it's like- I'm gonna have to become the manager then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. And I've always thought that we should really look at the results more than the time. I think right. we've been so focused on time, like eight hours a day, nine hours, 10 hours, punching the clock instead of the productivity. And in fact, I think you'll right. find productivity can increase if you treat people better and maybe give them more time off. I think your studies have shown that repeatedly. Yeah. Um, I mean, Europe has a much laxer, looser uh, work model than in the states right you know and then you have people who say they make all this money my salary is tremendous but how many hours are they putting in to get that it's the equivalent of maybe three minimum wage jobs for are they jobs. happy are they happy is more money mean happier will you take less money to be happier and i think there was a, a study of, uh, talking about that it's a, somewhere around 75 to hundred thousand dollars is the that's the whole that's it anything beyond that you're not necessarily happier you make more money but you're not happier. And I think that's that's important too, that we all believe that, oh, when I'm when I'm rich, I'm gonna be happy. But no, that's not the truth. When you do what you love, you're happy. Right, right. When you have that uh, purpose. I, I I would like to test that. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Be the guinea pig. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, you, we hear that a lot. Somewhere around a hundred thousand dollars. I would like to test that. Thank you very much, please. Well, Jay, but that was a discussion we had a few weeks ago where I asked you, would you take the $10 million or fix mistakes in your life? You said the mistakes, which surprised me because I would take the 10 million. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a little bit, it's a little bit different in, in time, you know, um, versus material at that point. You know, you're talking about going in the past and doing different things and, you know, there's a lot of different variables. This is just right. more, you know, if I'm if I'm making more than seventy a year now, like would I be happier? I don't know, but I'd like to try that. You know, <laughs> yeah. if, if I, mean, I, just, I just look at it like with that kind of money, I could fix a lot of stuff. That's just a mile exactly. in the world. And that to me would make what would I would enjoy. Um, you know, if I if money were no issue. A lot of things that I would do would end up being just collaborating with people and doing projects or doing helpful things or just the type of that types of things. And so with that kind of money, you're you don't have that burden or that worry of um, rent and, and yeah. and financial all that. freedom. Right. You've got and it's not just financial freedom. You've got life freedom. Yeah, absolutely. You, you will, you know. You know, so say your friend is, is doing something in, I don't know, they're in Miami and they're they're working on a project. They need help. 
okay, okay, I'm gonna come down there and help you out. I got the time, I got the effort, I got the skills. I want to be of service to you, you know, that type of thing. Hey, Lixa, see Lixa in the chat popping in. Hey, everyone, thank you for joining us. So I want to get to Aaliyah and the work that not just she's doing, but everyone is doing, because you said it's a plural thing, right? It was we, not, not I. Yeah. So the Black Resource Network, can you tell us a bit about how that came about? When and how did that start? All right, so it's been about three years. It started in 2019 in August. Um, how did it start? You know, there's many versions of the story. Uh, it, it, it really, there was no thought specifically put into it. It was just another idea that um, I had and I did it, right? I'm, I'm I, That's the type of person that I am. It's If I think of something, I want to do it uh, to a fault sometimes, but um, that's kind of what it is. And I collected a couple friends together. Um, I think my friend Dane and I talked about it well before that, oh, there needs to be a way to get information of Jamaica Avenue. I think we we're going to call it Jamaica Avenues. And, um, you know, we talked about that, but nothing happened. And after a while, I was like, hey, we didn't we didn't do anything with this. And then I decided to make it a Facebook group. And it, it kind of just took off from there. Uh, we didn't, it, it wasn't something that took a long time to catch on because there was a need. Um, and, and that's where we are. We're three years old, August 2019. Excellent. And so you said, obviously, a primary focus is to put information out there on local Black businesses in Queens. Well, local, we local, any, local anything in Queens that apply to Black business. But for whatever reason, um, Black, excuse me, Black people in communities, but for whatever reason, Black businesses really just, that wasn't intentional. They, it, it happened naturally that that became our most successful um, outreach. Okay. Okay, and aside from that, we do, election. we do education, we do health and wellness, we do financial literacy, um, we do fun, lighthearted things. Right. So it's not just the resources on the Facebook page. You guys are actually out there in the community doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and what kind of programming are you involved in right now? Anything coming up? Or anything you have to well, I think we're 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 um, really on the education. We have an education conference coming up for Black History Month. I think that's what we're working on now. Something on the fun side. We're doing a New Year's Eve party for the little kids, and they're going to dress up in their suits and their dresses and do the red carpet and kind of things like that. Give them that experience. Um, and we have um, we're going to do we have Black Community Cares now, so we're going to do our fundraiser gala next May. So that's kind of some of the things we're focused on right now. Okay. It sounds like it sounds like some some good projects. Um they're okay. Take a lot. I, I love them. They're okay. <laughs> you feel like no, nah, they're awesome. They're great. They're awesome. I have I enjoy my work. Um I want to say that just to piggyback off of what we were speaking Yeah. About. I was gonna say that sounds like a great example of even when you're doing something that you love and you have a passion for I, I there's still those moments where you're like ah oh, this is all right. <laughs> Like, uh, it's still work, right? But um, I do, I do love um, doing the work that I do in the, the Black Resource Network. And I am happy just to be highlighted on programs like this um, and just help me get the word out so more people can join and we can be bigger and, and reach further. And so thank you guys for, for doing shows like this. Yeah, no, of course. And definitely wanted to reach out to you and have you on here because we like to put a spotlight on local leaders and people doing great things around our communities. And, you know, we like to put a focus on South Queens in particular. So thank you. Uh, how can people join Black Resource Network on Facebook? Um, be a Black person connected to Queens somehow, whether you work there, you go to church there, you 
you know, you have family there, you used to live there, you currently live there, you know, just press join. Um, you can also shoot me an email at blackresourcenetwork at gmail.com, B-L-A-Q-U-E. And you, I can send you the link or you can be on our mailing list. If you're not on Facebook, you can join us on Instagram. You can join us on Twitter. You can do any of those things. We are going to start some hand-to-hand um, -hand outreach because we have an older population that's not on social media as much as they'd like to be. And they still open the circulars, right? They still open that, you know, that bag that comes with your step with. <laughs> they still use it, right? Yeah. So um, we want to make sure we're not missing out on that population. Um, because they vote and they're still part of the community and they still run the community. Um, yeah. Things happening that we don't know about. So I want to make sure we're, we're in touch with them as well. Yeah, I always tell people, especially when you look at Southeast Queens and the way people vote. Yes. A lot of people are misinformed. They think that social media is everything, but the voting population tends to be quite old. I mean, sometimes 65 and up is, is like almost the only state to hold. I've worked on quite a few campaigns yeah. in Southeast Queens and 100%. Young people are very loud. They'll help carry your message, but they yep. don't show up on election day. Right. Um, the, you know, it's, it's the triple prime, meaning the people who have voted in the last three elections usually right concentrate on and they're they're almost always over 65. yeah yeah i mean i stood outside the school in Springfield gardens handing out literature and you, you can see i mean it's almost all senior citizens voting almost all almost all you'll get you'll get some uh i think business owners are another group that vote a lot um so that'd be maybe second and then you'll get some some you know 30s that's not even really young um but yeah so if you if you really want to hit the entire community, you have to keep the older um, right. generation involved. Right. All right. Now, but you mentioned. Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just that was a good point that you made about that young people are loud and they're the ones who can often carry the message. Yes. And so we need, more, we need more young people involved. And we want more young people voting. But also as a campaign, if you're going to run a campaign. Have any, oh, what did I go? You can't have any movement without younger people and older people, right? right? Exactly. You have to have everybody. You have to mix of both. And you're going right. to have the young people, the energy to knock on the doors and make yeah, the calls. Yeah, them. Right. right. They, 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 they have new ideas and things we weren't thinking about. Yeah. They yeah. have to be involved. They're, they're next up. So they need to know. You know, we have a lot of volunteers. At 16 years old, they can't even vote yet, but they're out here. You know, yeah. whoever their candidate is, they're very passionate about it. They are holding up those signs. They are at the yep. polls. Yeah, we definitely um, need them. And I, I, you know, we have a younger group in the Black Resource Network as well that we want to transition into. You know, whatever is whatever is next for us. So, yeah, even if they're too young to, to do other things, being involved um, will will pay off when they are old enough to. Uh, to get in the mix you know they have to be a part of it my son is nine i bring him to everything he he doesn't know what's going on uh, or maybe he does I'm, I'm underestimating him but he'll always remember he'll always look back and say oh yeah i remember my mom used to take me to, to food shares to give out food in the community or my mom my mom used to take me to you know vote my mom used to say i used to wear a little future voter sticker or, or, or whatever that is i think those memories are important because we all remember being you know eight nine years old yeah absolutely things that parents taught us now you mentioned a bunch of different, you, you said you guys are involved in the community stuff and, and, and voting stuff and health and wellness. What's the, what's the biggest gap you're seeing that needs to be addressed among the different things that you guys uh, give The us? large question. Um, the two are the two that we're probably working on. It's, it's um, education, getting our school score, those scores up and uh, small business. And, and 
moving micro businesses into you know full businesses scaling scaling businesses and taking the ideas of people who just have awesome ideas like wow we really need that in the community and figuring out how to get them to support and the funding um we have some businesses in our group that will say wow you know i started with you guys in 2019 i started during the pandemic and now because of your group i'm making $150,000 a year $100,000 a year just from people in your group just from directing um, customers to me so i i often wonder where that 150 and this is like one business two business three business four. these are not collective these are individual businesses i often wonder where that money would have gone um if we didn't have the black resource network and i need to do some some surveying in our group to just find out like how, how the businesses are doing when how you know just just how they're communicating who's reaching out to them how do you know it's from our group um so we can do more right so we can get a, a good handful of businesses making that i don't know what the others are making some don't say anything right i just see the people in the street and they're like that so you know like okay hi um but i do want to be able to measure a little bit more so i am able to solve problems like small businesses um because if small businesses make money we all make money to strengthen the american economy absolutely absolutely and i and i would i would speculate and i think it's a one of the things and and that's talked about a lot especially within the black community like that money you're wondering where that 150 would have gone it would have gone outside of the community sure. um it would have gone to you know things that don't doesn't necessarily give directly back to the community and um i think and i don't know specific numbers here but i think the the so-called black dollar um goes out a lot faster than some other communities a time and then it's, it's gone yeah. right yeah um and so like uh, other communities tend to the dollar goes around in their community a little bit more before it goes out to, to other areas um so i mean i think it's it sounds like something that's, that's excellent and it's sorely needed um and it sounds like it's you know being very effective yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that also relates, by the way, to things like you know, MWBE programs, mm -hmm. which I worked on in Albany. I think a group like the Black Resource Network could be very helpful in lobbying for legislations. Not you know, you don't have to support candidates if you want to be a nonprofit, that kind of thing, but you can certainly get behind the ideas, the yes. legislation, the you know, the programs okay. that are needed. And um, change the laws. I mean, the state was doing better than the city was when it came to its MWBE procurement levels. Yes. The city needs to catch up. Yeah. So a group like this can step in and really put people's feet to the fire and say, hey, let's do better. I agree that there are a lot of um, legislation that we that is a part of this. It's it's not only get money to businesses. It's so much bigger than that. There are other things. Right. I talked about it is get money. Right. We need money. We need black financial institutions to get black businesses money. We need to recondition the minds of everyone to to shop black because Right now, it's only black people shopping black, but everybody else is shopping everything else, right? So we need to do that, and we need we need the laws to change and, and figure out these systematic barriers that are stopping black businesses from growing. I think it's it's also important to say what you said there, as far as uh, getting other people to also shop black. Like when people say you know buy black, like you said, it's usually just it's black people who buy black. But that's the only people they're talking to. Black, right? Black. Uh, everyone else should also look at black businesses as a as a uh a destination as well. yes absolutely if they are good businesses with quality goods and what you need shop there but they're not thinking about that at all how, right. do, we, how do we get that black right. cannot only be for black people absolutely and i think that's that is a deeper problem that's definitely something that's 
um, not just a local, it's a national problem. And I think it's, I, I think it's a global problem. Yeah, I think it's a global problem. Because there's the certain images and, and the way that black people are looked at and valued worldwide. And so um, it is something to, 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 to work on. Now in the chat, Lixa said with the holidays, is there any business you would want to highlight? Kind of like Oprah does. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to put that list together and uh, I did it. But um, let me think now, businesses that I would like to highlight. Yes, I started the list. Uh-oh, she's got a list. I did and I meant to do it um, officially and I did not. You know, you know when she said that, you know, the, the first thing that popped into my mind was that Eminem lyric. I got a list. Oh. Oh. Reggie, yeah, I was gonna say the top of her list is gonna be Reggie. Yeah. Shop yeah. at Reggie's. Yeah. First thing you do is go buy some Redman albums. That's that's what you're you're obligated to do. Hey, Redman is doing some politicking lately. He was at Black Caucus weekend giving a press conference with Senator Sanders. Oh. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. He got up there and said, I am Reggie Noble. You know, he was just himself. He wasn't a red man, he was Reggie. Yeah. Where's my list? It's good. There is. There's this, there is a, um, a luxury bag brand from Queens that I really want to highlight. Go ahead. Hit me to the next question. And I'll find it by the way. <laughs> I, can do, I can do two things. Go ahead. Uh, um, it sounds like you've got, you know, um, you're getting good participation within um, your network. And you said this is within Queens, right? Yes. So all of Queens, Southeast Queens? All of Queens. I mean, naturally, it's going to be mostly Southeast Queens. There's just more Black people there. But we do have um, reach in Queensbridge and Far Rockaway and Elmhurst. Yeah, no, I like that. The Black, B-L-A-Q-U-E, the capital Q. So that's Queens. Yes. There. Black Queens. I like it, too. Yeah. yeah. Latoya in the chat says, looking forward to the gala. Ask Latoya knows the back brand. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Latoya. I just texted. Text okay. Right that's what's up. But then that's, that gold that's bag really for myself. There's a bag that I want for them. And good. I'm glad you brought this up because now I can uh -oh. my husband. <laughs> oh, there we go. So so we're waiting on we're waiting on Latoya for yeah, yeah. Uh, she'll, she'll she'll come through. All right. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, I guess we have the juxtaposition between keeping it real and whatever George Santos is doing. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um and so for, for, I guess, if people aren't aware, George Santos was just elected um, Congress, right? Right. And it was a Democratic held seat. This was the seat that Tom Swazi held, was a Democrat. Of course, he ran for governor, so he gave up his congressional seat. And the Republicans did flip it. So when we look at the midterms and how Republicans narrowly took the House, this seat was one of the reasons why. I mean, New York and California saw significant amount comparatively speaking of republicans taking over democratic seats so this was one of them and now jay what do we find out the new york times did a big expose on this right um i just muted my you getting the feedback i was muting my mic while you were you're speaking let's see if we can uh well yeah new york times did this um ah ray in the chat said telfar queen's owner i don't know if that yes telfar is is huge now they just did a um they did a lot of collaborations there in like Nordstrom now, but he, he is a black designer from Queens. And now he is a great one to support for the holidays. I'd All love right. to get him to um to join a group. I need to make that a 
wish list. There you go. That was good. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, the George Santos, they found the New York Times expose. And so he was just elected and he hasn't taken office yet, but he listed that he graduated from NYU and Baruch College. However, both of the schools have no record of him ever going there. Uh, he said that he worked for places like um, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. Uh, both of them said they have no record of his employment um, at, at either of those places. And he had made uh, financial disclosures of like $750 million this year and last year for an organization that they did research and found that the business is temporarily inactive. Um, and that he also claimed to run a charity called Friends of Pets United, but the IRS has no record of any such organization in the databases. And um, I did see on the news, I think it was NBC or CBS or something, that there's also some unresolved criminal charges in Brazil. Um, so, you know, he got elected saying these certain things representing himself a certain way with a certain resume. And it all seems to be untrue. Yeah, and so the big question, I guess, is how does this happen? And how is it only now coming out? I know that his opponent was saying that they had uncovered some of it before and raised it during the campaign, but it didn't seem like it really broke. And maybe part of the problem was he was just a candidate. I don't know how people saw his chances. Maybe they thought he wasn't necessarily gonna win or whatever, but he wasn't the congressman elect yet. So maybe they thought it wasn't breaking news to uncover his story. But if he's representing all these things about himself and they're all not true, I mean, this looks like not just one or two minor details. This was like a lot. He like he not embellished, should have lied about his resume. Why did this not come out before? From what I read, it seemed like some of it came out, but it just I guess it didn't get a lot of traction. Um, and uh, from the, what I also would have read, it's, he's a an ultra mega uh type of guy and uh, I guess so the the support I mean we know the support on that side is very is very strong very fanatical so you know that could be what pushed him in I mean you know so I have a question so he his resume that that that's where all of this was is what did he say on the campaign trail though like that was public because his resume might not have been but this was stuff that was on his website. These were okay. things that came right. out in interviews that he that he did. Um, these this, was beyond, like, this was beyond his resume. This is just yeah. It wasn't just like yeah, yeah. Piece of paper. No, this is things that he represented. Yeah, yeah. That that background his history. Yeah, right. Um, and so, to me, so his response is that oh yeah, the New York Times. Uh, you know, uh, they don't like me. I'm their enemy. But to me, like that that doesn't matter. That could be true. They could be out to get you they could hate you but the question is did you work for those places yeah do you have degrees from those places you know um if the paper if you don't have that paper if the answer is no it doesn't matter what their motivation is the yeah. fact is you blatantly misrepresented and he's not saying as far as i know that the stuff is true isn't he just saying they have an axe to grind they're out to get me i mean is he saying that no hold up all of the stuff that i said is true is he defending that the only responses that i've seen is that he's saying that they're out to get me. 
I haven't seen him say any anything else, and there could be some people who've seen other reports, or maybe he said oh. something else. And I know from from what I also saw in the news report, even the I guess the head of the the GOP there uh, in Queens is waiting to is waiting to hear a response because they're they want to know what okay what's going on here. So I don't think it's that like the party's like got his back like oh no no they're, they're it's a big anti Republican thing they're like wait what's going on here we want to know what's going you know and I've seen guys get arrested and their party still not drop them because they don't want to lose the seat I I don't think he's going anywhere this is going to come out and then it's going to go away well yeah I agree oh. but if it's swing district I mean it was a Democratic seat and now it's Republican hands will this have any role in the next election? Could this help the Democratic? Oh, the, yes, the next election, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I don't, could it though? I mean, if he's allowed to stay in the seat, and he serves his term in the seat, by the time the next one comes around, they're not going to remember gonna be anything. No one's going to care. Yeah, if the republic, if the Republican Party doesn't have viable candidate, they're not going to want to lose a the seat. They're going to run him. Yeah, they won't. They won't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the voters, the voters won't care. It's not even this, the, the voters won't because they put him in this time. Yeah. Yeah, but they're a swing vote. That's the thing. And I know people like this. And it's kind of hard for sometimes, like, even for me to understand it. But I do know people who will vote Republican and Democrat go back and forth. Depending on candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are the ones I think who would be affected by that. Someone whose vote is up in the air. Maybe they voted for him because they didn't know these things. That might change their opinion of him. I'm, I'm a little bit more cynical. He's gonna be right in that seat. I'm, I'm a little bit more cynical, unfortunately. Um, I, I think, yeah, if he if he's allowed to get through, and I, I think that's the question for me. Like I would say, he should not be allowed to take that seat. There should be something, and uh, apparently, this is kind of unprecedented, right? Like this yeah, doesn't. That's, is it illegal? On this level, right? Right. Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm so tempted to call his lawyer because I know his lawyer. I don't want to put him <laughs> on the spot though. Um, because he probably he probably won't talk to us about it. <laughs> yeah, he probably won't. But we should try to get him on the show. That's yeah, great. Um, yeah, I mean, he. Yeah. You you hope that the right thing will be done, but in my years, I've seen worse, and they didn't go anywhere. From what I understand, um, there is some people looking to and looking into ethics violations. Um, for for him and so if that amounts to anything i don't know if, i don't and and i don't know if there's any rules on the books to to be that's like, what i'm okay. saying right it, it's not ethical so you can start there how much teeth does that have though you right. know it's you not illegal to tell a lie it's it's the remedy is supposed to be that the public finds out about it and doesn't vote for you it didn't work that way and right so now there are questions like how does this happen how do we find ourselves in this situation should the opposition research have been better should they have been screaming about this more all along? I've been involved in campaigns. That's easier said than done because people will tell you things about your opponent all the time, but they're rumors until they're not. Right, you're not going to dig deep into everyone, every candidate. You're you're going to focus on you know having your candidate win. And that's right, right. And, that, and that's what and you that's get what very distracted also. with all of the noise outside. Run your race, right. absolutely. Right, and <laughs> so not everything you hear is substantiated and you can't go around saying things that can get you in trouble if they turn out not to be true. And also you don't want to look like you're just negative and talk about the other person because you got nothing good to say about yourself. So it's a delicate line to walk in these races. And you also don't want to give someone free publicity if you think it's not warranted. 
Yeah. And how and can can you know can the regular person call up Brute College and be like, hey, um, can we can I pull the transcripts of this guy? No one's doing that for every candidate. Yeah. yeah. They're not yeah. doing it. The question like, now is like, I didn't think he was going to win. He said it's a Democratic. Um, it's it's they're usually Democratic. They're usually blue. Yeah. They didn't even expect him to win. Right. Right. So the question is, where do we go? Where do we go from here? Yeah. Like, yeah. And what should we do? What what can or should be done about this? Should he? Be allowed to take his seat. I look. I'm, uh, you know, like I said, I'm visiting family right now, spending time with my grandmother. A lot of westerns on the TV. I think the posse should come in <laughs> and drag him out. You know, and uh, screaming shouldn't be allowed to take take the seat. Um, but then, if he does isn't allowed to take the seat, then there's a question of what happens then. How do you fill that seat? Right, and there's also the possibility of stripping him of committee assignments and things like that, if they really want to, to go after him or punish him while he is in Congress. Unfortunately, with a Republican-led House, you have to question how seriously they're going to go after him. Right. And see, that's, and, and see, this is a, this is not even a, a local position. This is a national position. Like you said, there are committees. These are potential committees that could have far-reaching implications. And we've already seen this guy has no, he has no ethics or no no moral qualms about being completely misrepresentative of who he is and what he says. So that's dangerous to have someone in that position to to be that is, is this devoid of an elected office. I'm Did sorry. The other position before this. I think he had a failed uh, uh, election before. He didn't win. Um, I don't know much about his background um, other than well. A lot of people don't know a lot about his background. Yeah. That was the problem. And, and it has, it, has this been proven it's false or it's just kind of cloudy? Well, they, the the New York Times in their research, they contacted um, Citigroup and um, Goldman Sachs. And they said, no, we have no record of this guy. Um, Baruch College and New York, uh, uh, NYU said, we have no record of this, of this student here because he said he had degrees from both of those places. Um, and he said he ran this nonprofit, um, and tax exempt status non tax exempt status nonprofit, and the IRS has no record of that either. So this is it's all been confirmed that it's not there. He hasn't really spoken to uh, the accusations, other to say that the New York Times is out to get me. Um, I'm their enemy, or something like that. And so, but again, like I said. There's, there's, there's really no, there's, there's no room for partisanship here. It's like, do you have the paper or you don't have the paper? Did you work there? Or you didn't work there. You know what I mean? Like, there's no ambiguity in that. So why don't we make that the poll question of the week? I get people's thoughts on this. The question of the week is, do you believe someone who was caught lying about their background should be allowed to take office, even if they won an election. Here's the thing, everyone's gonna say no, because there is no emotion attached to a, a random right. person. But when they, when I've seen people and when they believe in a candidate, it doesn't matter, it doesn't yeah. matter. So it's gonna be hard to answer without that attachment. But that's also why I wanna put the question out in that neutral way, because if everyone says no, and then you're like, so why it? is it? Yeah. Right, then you go like, well, wait a minute, why is he any different? I hear you. Should it be, it's, if they blatantly lie about it, because I think everyone's going to be like, well, politicians lie or they fudge the truth all the time. But this guy blatantly lied about it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not just a blatant lie. It's just like so many lies and big lies, right? I wonder how it started, right? Like he just mm. first of all, like, yeah, is it an illness? Yep. <laughs> like how did it? Like God, ah, it's fine. It's fine. They're not gonna check. It's fine. And then he Look, goes to such a big seat. I'm saying, if if is this what we're doing now? Because I yeah. mean, I you know, I'm pretty creative <laughs> with my writing. Well, you need. Yeah, I'm saying. Can I can I say? Can I say I I'm. I have MIT credentials. I took an MIT course on Coursera, and I have a I have a certificate, <laughs> yep. I have a certificate from an MIT course. Yeah. I, took. You ask. I, I can put that down. So you I, there was a question in the chat. It's unethical, but what is the legality? And that's kind of what I was getting at before. It's not illegal to lie. Now, if you just said maybe he's a lawyer, and there are certain laws like like unauthorized practice yeah. of the law, or things like that, impersonating a police officer or whatever, right? But just lying about a degree in general, or your back, there's no law saying you can't do that. No, because then you don't need a degree or a specific job to even have the position, so it doesn't. Right. Doesn't make a difference. It just shows you his ethics. Yeah. So it leaves it leaves a big gray area in what to do at this point because. There's really nothing that says that we well, we can force them out. Like, yeah. I think the only thing, like you said, like the ethics committee is the first place to start. But well, who runs um, the committees now? This is why it's a problem that everything is so hyper-partisan because if you have Republican control of these committees and of the House, it's dubious, right? Unless there's just so much pressure from the public and they're afraid they're going to lose their own seats in their districts, it's dubious as to whether they would actually pursue this. They want to keep that majority. They want to keep Republicans their members. Republicans are not going to want to lose that seat. Oh, well, he lied. We're going to tell him what to do anyway. So it doesn't, doesn't matter yeah. to us. Yeah, they're going to spin it. And yeah. I think, again, I think they, they, you brought up the public, Mike. Um, you know, there, there needs to be public pressure for him to resign. But I don't know how far that'll go if this guy's already shown who he is morally and ethically. He probably don't care about <laughs> public pressure. Yeah. And my sense is, especially this past year, people were not voting for the candidate. They were voting for the party. They're like, we want a Republican in there. We're going to vote Republican with the governor straight down. I don't think they even looked at who the candidates were, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the governor's race, right? So, yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah. This is, yeah. I think this is, this, and this could be dangerous, too, because if it, if it stands, and it probably will, I mean, there will be copycats, I'm sure. Like, oh, we can do that. So, hey. Sure, he wasn't the first person to lie at all. He's the first one that got caught in a big way. <laughs> and now when nothing happens, what does that mean? Right. Right, which is why the public has to put the pressure on to the extent possible to make sure something happens, or at least this guy loses if he runs again. Yeah. It, it's, wow. It's crazy. Maybe next election. Yeah, right. I, I don't, you know, um, I agree with uh, Licks in the chats. I think it was Licks. So I said, people tend to forget what's news today will be forgotten in three yep. years. Yep. It's going to be gone. And it's going to be old news if you try to bring it up. He's been in office. So and that was four years ago. You're trying to bring that up now? Doesn't yeah. Happen. Yeah. But what's going to happen? Is he going to change his website and list his actual credentials? And <laughs> now that's a, good question. that's a good question. <laughs> Is he going to keep the lies on right. there? Shut right, because it could still be a current issue if he's still talking about it, or if he, even if he runs a new campaign and changes everything. It's like, wait a minute, you ran last time on a completely different background. Right What's going on? Uh, yeah, and you know, there's also the, and I for, I can't find the the info, um, but um, 
he was like there's the the unresolved criminal charges in brazil as well um i think that's something that should well i guess to protect ourselves we should say this is all alleged at this point we, you know this is but this was reported we're saying what was reported right um, we're waiting to see i guess what the response is going to be and if they'll get to the bottom of it right and then yeah, that's. I think that's what people are waiting, and and even in the report that a uh, news report I saw, even the Republican leadership in uh, either New York City or in Queens was waiting, also waiting for response. So it's not really to indicate that you know there's this big Republican-backed conspiracy here. So it seemed like the they were waiting for response to find out too. Yeah, so we'll have to keep an eye on it and see. Now, if what I were wants to do. If I were in the Republican Party, I would also not want him to take and take the seat. Now, I understand they want to hold the seat, but there were probably legitimate candidates with legitimate backgrounds in the Republican Party that wanted that seat as well, that came and campaigned with their real information. And so, like, I, I'd feel a little salty. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Like I said, we'll see. See how it plays out. and. What the people want to do but speaking of the people we asked the people last week about whether the democratic national convention in 2024 should happen in new york city because the mayor has been pushing for that and between instagram and facebook on my poll it was 70 percent no 30 percent yes mm. so i was looking at the responses and, and kind of peeking at who was voting trying to see what people's politics were and it was fascinating to me because it actually seemed like somewhat conservative voters were saying yes for some reason of course i think the big victory for no can be explained by the fact that people on the democratic side likely want it to be in a swing state or a state that's in play and you have republicans who just don't want it in their backyard because they don't want to see a democratic party happening around them right so they're going to team up on this one and say no overall but it was 70 30 so 30 percent almost a third wanted to see it in new york yeah the um when i ran it we ran the um clip on um youtube it did pretty well it's about uh 1300 views on there got some responses um and one echoes what's being said in the chat no because of the traffic uh, that would be a problem mm. it and would then, be good for new york and i can only imagine people didn't tell me why they said yes but i would guess because number one maybe they want to go right and number two they think it would be good for the city so yeah you're gonna see more traffic but you'll see more activity more black businesses it brings, potentially being it brings a lot of money to the city right that's that's why um i i would like to you know read more about it, it definitely will help the economy and help the businesses. So I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about the mayor's proposed budget cuts. I mean, maybe you won't need so many cuts if you have this boon to the local economy. Mm. Not saying that convention is going to save all New York City's financial woes, but it helps, right? More events like that would help. Right. Yeah. Um, strategically, it's, it's not really... I don't think it's a real smart move. Uh, like we spoke about last time, it's probably better in a, an area that's underserved, that needs that spark that something like that could bring as far as um, the national election and, and getting people fired up. Because swing York, state, right? Even we said Georgia could be a good example. Georgia would be good. 
Georgia should be in play for the Democrats. We won the Senate seats there. We lost in the last presidential race, but it has been won at the presidential level in recent years also. So, I mean, so it's one that could be won. Yeah. So. But you got to think about what state has the resource and amenities to, to really host this. That's another question also, right? And last week someone asked, would it be at MSG? Barclays Center, where would you hold it? You know, we don't have really a mega convention center in New York. Even Javits isn't as big as, as these mega convention centers that are holding uh, conferences. I do, I, I do wonder where, where, where it would be. Yeah. And that's, and that's as far as other states too. If we say, okay, not here, somewhere else, who has the infrastructure um, to host this? Well, how, how big, what's the attendance usually at those places? At those places? 25, 30,000? You know, that's that's Madison Square Garden. I guess it would have to be at the garden. I know half. It's a pretty small venue. I mean, I would, I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on how they want to do it. Javits Center would be able to hold a lot more people. Yeah. Eh, just, uh, you know, throw up a couple of couple of strings and do it in central park fine. <laughs> i guess yeah right. you know i think it also comes back to uh, why and you know what and i guess it's worth throwing this question out there also does the convention really matter in terms of winning an election does it matter where it is because there's an argument it, it works on paper right like you hold it in a swing state you energize more local voters to come out and maybe you'll get a big, bigger turnout in that state is that the case though is it going to make a difference in the election don't forget, it's months before, not like right before the election. Right. I think we're all um, kind of blue anyway. Yeah, one of the comments is, yeah. that got also got spoke that saying like you know strategically it's probably better for a red state or some purple states. Yeah, we'll say a purple state. Right, because it, it they said that it would show the DNC's commitment to expanding past coastal elite blue states, and they they. They gave suggestions like North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, or even Ohio. I think Georgia. It, yeah, I think that's a conventional movement at least. It's Stacey some help. But you know what? It would be worthwhile looking at data on this, looking at just going back in history, where the conventions were held. You were before and, and how did it help the election? Yeah. yeah. Was there a bounce? Was, was there an increase in turnout? I mean, you might not immediately be able to find that causation, but has there been a spike? I mean, is there usually a spike in that state? I don't know. Yeah, hold. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Why is weird? I should hold it in Florida. Florida needs it. Florida? <laughs> right on DeSantis' lawn. Oh, my goodness. That's what if, needs Yeah, if he's the nominee. Yeah. Or that's a good question. Should should it be held in the home state of whoever the opposition nominee is? No, they're already going to vote for him. Yeah, but you know you're bringing in that extra energy. They're already going to vote. Yeah, I mean, going to vote for the electoral college system, right? So if he loses, the, if someone wins the state, that's it. It's, you turnout doesn't matter. It's it. All the votes go to that person. Your own state is like meh. <laughs> no way. New no. York, bring the money here. We got the airport, we got the hotels, we got the food. 
<laughs> and maybe this is a reason to build a big convention center and get the Queens Rail, for example. I mean, let's yeah. have some of this infrastructure upgrades that we're looking for. Sure. So, all right. Well, we don't have a whole lot more time. We wanted to briefly mention the story that you sent me, Jay, about the mayor proposing to cut the budget to libraries, right? Right. So apparently, um, Mayor Adams is wanting to want libraries to cut their budgets by 13.6 million by the end of 2023 and another 20.5 million over the next three fiscal years. Um, so what do we think about, about that? Like that could be devastating for, for the public, I think. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I think people sometimes mock libraries these days, like, oh, who goes to the library and gets a book anymore? But it serves such a bigger role than that. And it really has adopted, like, you can read the article, they talk about Wi-Fi and just resources in the community that you sometimes can't get. I mean, a lot of areas of New York City are very underserved. We talk about even, you know, I, read, I wrote an article a couple of years ago about that, about how we could use a broadband network throughout the city, because I think it was 35% of households in the city did not have access to affordable, reliable broadband. So libraries really fill that gap for so many people and cutting them can have disastrous effects, especially in unsolved areas. And in after school programs, like, I mean, even since my day, we've been going to the library after school until somebody's home. So we hang out in the library, do a little homework, throw around some books. It's a, it's a resource center more than it is, you know, a place to just rent books anymore. Right. Absolutely. I think, and it's, it's, you know, it, it's very important to have, it's uh, cutting those budgets. Um, the, the, I guess he was either the head of the library um, said that, you know, we're already kind of running close to the bone here. This could, that type of cut would really put, push us over the edge. And I think, you know, uh, losing that resource would be a, a serious detriment to, to the community. Um, and to education for the community, especially if we're talking about increasing education, the quality of education, access to education, you know, being able to go to a library and have these resources at your hand is um, vital. Yeah, we're talking 13.6 million for the current fiscal, fiscal year cut, 20.5 million in each of the next three fiscal years. So that's significant. Yeah. The question for me is always two things. Um, where, cut to go where? And if not cut the library, where to cut? I, you know, that's not something we have to answer now, but I always want to look that up. Um, who, right. Who's going to get that money? And then, and then, and then I can kind of give a better idea. Well, is this what needs to be done? Um, and yeah, that's that's what I have to look up in order. Yeah, to it's all relative, right? And because if you look at it in the vacuum, it's like, oh, that sounds bad. But what if I don't know? Those cuts are minor compared to what else is being cut, or right. you know, what's right. being cut more. So we've got the least. Do we need to cut all these things? And right. Who's benefiting right. from it? So all, right. Right. All I, these I need to know that. If it's like, well, some other way that it's going to support underserved communities, then okay, well, we have to say, all right, well, maybe the library has to get cut. But it just sounds so terrible um, right. about the rest of the story. In isolation, right? Yeah. yeah. So this is part of the mayor's uh, plan to curtail city spending and. He's got a name for it. Uh, so apparently it's, it's an initiative now. He's just trying to make cuts, strategic cuts here. It said that um, as far as um, under the cuts, the Queens public library system could lose uh, almost $4 million uh, in city funds. So, you know, that's it's pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. 
install. Here we go. That's, yeah, Queens 4 million. Um, New York Public Branch System 5. New York Research Library could lose a one. Um, yeah, yeah, Brooklyn and Queens, I said, right? Could each lose 4 million? I'm sorry? It says Brooklyn and Queens could each lose $4 million. Each, yeah. Each. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. No, that's rough. But, you know, if we're getting savings, what are we doing with it? Um, the New York City budget is supposed to be balanced. So the spending is supposed to correlate with the income, right? The revenues. So what are we doing with the money? Right. And and like uh, Aliyah said, where are the other cuts coming from as well? You know? Right. You know, I think there have been some mistakes, especially when it came to teachers. We went through that whole fiasco this year in the recent budget where teachers were cut. You had council members who said they were misled and they didn't believe that would be the case. But it happened. And we saw teachers lose their jobs as a result. And litigation followed and chaos ensued. So we got to be careful with what we're cutting and really try not to do things financially, fiscally, that result in services being lost. And vital jobs being lost too. That's why we need the Democratic National Convention to go to New York. We can get some bread. Give us some money. <laughs> we need the money. Save the books. I hear you. Well, that almost sounds like the bottom line, Jay. Uh, or it could be an intro. Let's get it. Let's yeah. give her give her a chance here. So, Aaliyah, we do here. We like to give our guests the last word, and we call it the bottom line. So I'd like you to tell us what the bottom line is. It could be about what we talked here today, what you think in general, anything you think that the bottom line is. So well, I'm going to bring it back to Black businesses and partnerships, right? So uh, thank you so much for partnering with me here today to bring some light into the Black businesses in Queens and, and Black businesses really across the nation. Um, so my bottom line is, um, shopping black helps the economy for everyone. So even if you're not black, um, take a look at some black owned businesses near you or online or wherever you can find them. Um, but I need people to understand that shopping black increases, um, the economy for everyone. And that is the bottom line. I love it. Love it. <laughs> there it is. And that is the Coquito. Hey, there it is. That's right. I made, I made it myself. I'm gonna enjoy it for the holiday. Cool. Right. Yeah, and I'll definitely be reaching out to you uh, to hear some more about it um, and and see what you guys are getting into. So. Sure. You know, there's only so much you can say or remember or do in a, in a short amount of time. You're like, I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Like, ah, I should have talked about that. Damn, why didn't I have my list ready? Yeah. But uh, I appreciate any time I'm given to talk about the work that I do that I love. So we have we can have you back on as well. Always sure. welcome. So Go Jay, ahead. before we sign off, where can people find us? Um, you can find me online, BLAQE. You look that up on anywhere you're, you're going to find me. Okay, absolutely. And I put, some, new of links. I put some of the links in the in the chat um, yes. for for uh, Black Resource Network. Um, for us, you can get get at us on YouTube under nuance with mike skull and jay carter or just look up the handle nuance show and uh so we take the what we talked about here today place it up on youtube also if you're into podcasts the audio goes to all the podcast networks so it'd be on apple spotify amazon all of that stuff and uh if you're into instagram 
nuanced show. Stop by, say hello, join up and answer some of the stuff. So if you want to participate in a discussion or answer some of these questions or leave any more comments, you know, those places are good, good spots to do it. Sounds great. Thank you all for joining us. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy holidays to everybody. And we'll catch you next time. All right. Bye, everyone.